Welcome to Podcasts, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. This is the month that we choose every year to talk about abundance in its larger forms of money, of course, yes, but but more than that, an abundance of love, an abundance of joy, all good things. How do we learn to do a better job of living the good life? We're using this year a wonderful book by Julia Cameron. Now, you might remember her from The Artist's Way, the best-selling author of a series of books on using creativity in your lives. Well, she also also wrote this lovely book called The Prosperous Heart, another bestseller, and uh, and we're going to be using it to guide us through this idea of opening our heart to receive more blessings. So money, yes, absolutely, uh, but way more than just money. In fact, let me read just a little bit. You know, every book generally to get you hooked into buying it has a promise. And let me read just a little bit of the promise on the back cover here. It says, In the prosperous heart, Julia Cameron, author of the international bestsellers The Artist's Way, presents a program for using practical financial tools in partnership with your creative heart and soul to guide you to prosperity in all areas of your life. And so the idea is, as we open our heart, as we learn more about what motivates us in the world, God can respond to that. The divine creative process will work for us rather than, as it appears some days, to work against us. First of all, I think we need to talk about what prosperity really means. Now, there's a little bit of difference, I think, between prosperity and plain old abundance. So what does she mean by prosperity? She says it has almost nothing to do with money. She says that most people think that when I have X amount of money, I'll feel better, I'll be prosperous, or I'll be successful. But she says that true prosperity, the bottom line for that, the formula should be, when I have X amount of faith, I will feel better, I will be prosperous, I will be happy. And the premise here, and I think it's a, an absolutely spot-on one, is that if we build our happiness, if we build our prosperity, if we build our life counting and needing on the external things to go right, right? There's always going to be something that happens. There's always going to be something in the outer world that may interrupt a flow of money. But what I do know is that faith is the true sustainer. The true measure of prosperity is the idea that we are always, always prospered. That's an inner awareness, not not based on how much is in our bank account, not based on a promotion at work, not based on something that might have a hiccup in it, but our own true faith that the universe is a good and safe place And that God actually wishes all of us to prosper because as we prosper, as we feel that opening of the heart, God gets to experience that through us. And so as we uh, put less emphasis on getting 
and more emphasis on opening our heart to actually receive the blessings that are already around us. That opening of the heart creates that feeling that is true prosperity. So for the purposes of this series, and we'll be talking about prosperity for the next seven weeks, we're going to work right up until our gratitude service in, in November. So for the next seven weeks, for the purposes of this series, I'm defining prosperity as a feeling of sufficiency and security. Faith. Our ability to know that whatever we need, whatever we would choose, is available to us always in this abundant universe. It's that, it's that inner knowing, that inner feeling, that inner faith that our needs and wants are supplied always. Despite what the bank account might look like from month to month, despite uh, some hiccup in uh, the, the magical delivery chain of the world, there is that inner delivery chain that is always present, always willing, always able to supply what we need and desire. Well, I think another good place to start are some of the money myths. You know, this uh, day in particular, we're going to be talking about some of the beliefs around abundance and money that are just myths, and I'd like to debunk them a bit. And I think uh, perhaps a good place to start would be a joke. So the frugal pastor walked into the house panting, almost completely exhausted. Well, what happened, honey, inquired his partner of many years. Well, it's a great new idea I have to be a better steward of our finances, he gasped. I ran all the way home from the stewardship committee behind the bus. I saved us $2 in bus fare. Okay, replied his partner, uh... I guess if that's the way you look at it, why didn't you run behind a taxi and save us $15? So that is one of the things that Julia Cameron calls a money myth. And, and it has to do with the idea of us when we're in a miserly mode. She, in her book, she talks about some of the beliefs we have and how it influences the way that we think of money and the way that we spend our money. And I want to go through four of these myths and hopefully debunk them. So the, the monetary miser, our, our pastor in the joke, he equates the idea of always just barely getting by. The idea of low self-esteem. Am I really worthy of living the good life? This would be someone that you might know as a second-hand shopper. Uh, in my own life, my, my best friend for many years, Ed, really had this kind of mentality. He got all of his clothes at a thrift store. He was never able to actually spend money on himself. Uh, things that you might think of his little everyday luxuries. Like rather than go to maybe a Starbucks for a coffee, he'd say, oh, no, 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 that's a frivolous waste. If I want to have some coffee, I should make it myself. It would be cheaper. And there's nothing, of course, wrong with being a good steward of your money, right? I mean, the, the fellow in the joke had a point. Why not be a good steward of our money? But not 
not at the expense of your own soul. Your own soul needs to be supported in love, needs to have some of the joys of life. Of course, we're going to spend money on ourselves. Of course, we want to, to look well and dress well and, 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 and have play dates with ourselves, right? We want to go out to a restaurant now and then. We want to have a little fun. We want to plan that trip to Disney World. We want to do things that enrich our lives and are playful. And those things, of course, cost money in the world. When we deny ourselves those small pleasures in the idea of miserliness, what we're really saying is, I don't think I'm worthy of living the good life. And when I don't think I'm worthy of living the good life, I got to tell you, God will support us in that thought, right? Suddenly we'll discover that our resources are diminishing. We'll discover that the world treats us as we're thinking about ourselves. If we're thinking that there's never enough money to go around, if we're thinking that I have to scrimp and save, if we're thinking that resources are limited, unfortunately, it's as though we're praying all our might and that will be returned to us in like form. We will discover that some of our sources of income are drying up, that, uh, that things are getting more expensive. It, it, it will encourage us to get more miserly yet until that point comes when we're just about as tight as we can get and our heart is closed up. And boy, is that the total signal to the world of this person should just be allowed to stew in their own misery. Of course, I'm painting this in a rather dramatic picture. I know all of us from time to time know we need to, to, to rein back on our spending. All of us from time to time need to realize, well, a budget is a budget. I don't have that money to spend. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when those urges of miserliness happen, even when you do have money, still you have that urge to, to get something secondhand that's maybe even broken with the thought, well, I can fix this. I can make it do. This is the best I should expect. So what is the myth? That thrift is a virtue. That somehow me being thrifty is part of God's plan. Again, there's nothing wrong with appropriate use of your resources, including money. But if you are ratcheting down, thinking that somehow thrift in itself is the good life, that's a myth. The second one is almost the opposite. You might think of this as the big ticket spender. And I had a great uncle, and he always had to have a new car every year. Have you met someone like that, that always had to have the, the newest and the best? And, and, and I remember he would go, we were living down in Newport, Oregon. He would always go to Portland to buy his clothes because he could get high ticket brand names in the city. I mean, he could get a, I don't know, a Burberry jacket or something rather than the store. I think when I was growing up it was J.C. Penny was the highlight of the, the clothes shopping. That wasn't good enough for him. It needed to be a name brand. It needed to be a good car. And the, the methodology behind this I think was he wanted to appear to be wealthy. He wanted to have the kind of life that looked a certain way. 
His uh, false belief was that that money will make you happy, that money will bring you prestige, that money itself will bring you the good life. Well, now, I wanted to mention, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the happiness report, and if you'll remember, people are happier with a certain amount of money. If our basic needs are not being met, if we're not earning enough to live in a, in a good place, if we're not earning enough to have all the food we need, if we're not earning enough to feel that many of our urges for creativity can be satisfied, absolutely, we're not going to be happy. But the report also showed that once our basic needs are met, adding more money to it does nothing for our happiness, does nothing for our self-satisfaction, really adds nothing to us. So in this particular case, having money or, or you know, buying the latest big spender kind of thing, making sure that all of our clothes are from... Uh, obviously, this is not me because I don't even know the right brands to throw out. I think there's something... I, I remember a friend of mine was very interested in Prada shoes. Now, I don't even know exactly what that means, but you would say that and her eyes would light up. And, and of course, there's nothing wrong with enjoying good things. But good things are not necessarily going to bring you the good life. You need to be aware that the good life so often comes from within, not from without. That once our needs are met, buying the the new car again this year will make you feel wonderful for about a day and a half. And then you'll be parking in the Safeway uh, parking lot. You'll get your first scratch, right? And then, oh well, it's not a new car (laughs) anymore. So beware of that big spender mentality. And the, the false belief here, the, the, what we need to debunk around this money, is that money will make you happy. It's simply not true. All right, the third type of person that can convince themselves of something that isn't correct about money and their, their relationship with money, I think is typified by my cousin Maxine. She was of that generation that went through the Great Depression, and so to her... More was always more. And and by that, if something was on sale, she'd buy it in every color. Have you ever known anyone like that? Oh my gosh. She would go down to the JCPenney and she would see a pair of slacks that, uh, that she liked and was on a special deal. She would buy five of them in five different colors. She would go to Costco and buy a pallet of toilet paper so that there would always be toilet paper for her. Well, the trouble with this, well, other than the fact you can very easily turn into a hoarder, right? Uh, Other than that, the false belief is that if I have more, I have security, That security only comes with having a a huge stockpile of stuff. And so if you find yourself in that buying mode, oh my gosh, uh, it's on sale, i got to have it. And maybe I'd have five of them. I'll use them eventually. If you find yourself making buying decisions and thoughts around that, ask yourself, does this really provide me with security? What if those pants aren't even going to fit anymore? I'm likely to lose weight, right? Then I have five pairs of slacks I can't even wear. 
uh, toilet paper may not go bad, but having a pallet in your garage is that it's like really you th you think there's going to be a time <laughs> when when you're totally out and desperate? It's like think about it. What what kind of message are you telling yourself? What you're trying to find is safety and security, and that too is something that comes from within. Remember we opened up by talking about faith, the idea that in God there will always be enough. We don't need to rely on a pallet of toilet paper from Costco. We do not need to buy up all of the shoes that come in our size and different colors. And so here we're debunking the idea that more is more, that more is required for some sense of security. The final myth about money that I want to talk about, and the, the last of these four unfortunate spending patterns, uh, I would call the enabler. And this is typified by a client that I had. I was working with a client a few years back, and she came in, and, and of course the, the trouble is always with someone else, right? And so she was telling me about what trouble her, her daughter was in and, and how we needed to pray for her daughter. Well, her daughter, after uh, some discussion, was clearly involved in the drug scene and, uh, and had moved out of the house in many ways so that her mother couldn't control her drug habit anymore. She wanted to, you know, live by herself and be free and do what she wanted when she wanted to do it. But she had talked her mom into paying for the apartment. She had talked her mom into an allowance for clothing and other things. Well, as you can imagine, to, much to the mother's dismay, most of this money was being spent on drugs and alcohol. And the apartment landlord was phoning her, well, that you may have sent your daughter a check for the rent, but I never got it. And so after talking, I said, well, there is a place for tough love. You probably need to cut your daughter off. I mean, as, as horrible as that sounds, you know, invite her to move back in with you if you're afraid she's going to be out on the street. But sending her money that is likely to be used inappropriately isn't helping her any. She would not hear of it. The mother, I think, believed that money equals love. And so examine your own spending habits. How often do you buy something with the idea that either you will find greater love in yourself with that product or that, that thing that you have purchased, or if it's intended to be a gift or from your family, ask yourself, am I doing this so that the family will love me more? Am I putting in a swimming pool because I want the kids to love me more? Am I buying my wife a new car because we've been having marital problems and it's really love that I desire? So quickly I want to go over these four, these four troubling spending habits and I want you just to think as I go through them, could these be 
describing some of my own spending habits. Now, I don't think you're as bad off, believe me, as any of the people I described. I tried to think of some pretty dramatic examples of people that I have known in my past that really had a problem here. But just think of yourself as I run through these one more time. Does this behavior describe some of the decisions that I make around money? So first we had the monetary miser. That was my friend Ed that could never spend any money on himself, that always had to go the cheapest route, that always had to go to the secondhand store for anything that he needed, even though he had a great job, even though he had the ability absolutely to do nice things for himself, he never did. His idea was thrift is a virtue and I'm just not worthy of the good life. The second one we talked about was the big ticket spender, my Uncle Russ, that always had to have the latest car, that always had to have the, the, the clothes with the expensive labels in them. His belief, his false belief, was that money equals status, that money equaled a standing upright in the world, being the bigger person, that money somehow would bring him happiness. The third kind of person we talked about was my cousin Maxine. You might think of her as the bargain uh, buyer. And many people that happen to be baby boomers right now, their parents went through the Great Depression. And we may have been trained, you know, buy it in, but when it's cheap, buy, buy seven of them, you know. It, it's, it's like we want our security. Our parents went through that Great Depression. There wasn't enough maybe when we were children. Let's make sure there's always enough. And by enough, I mean stuff. <laughs> Usually manifests in a little bit of that hoarding thing. People that have to have a whole room that's a pantry to store, you know, a whole year's worth of canned goods. Typically those people are looking for security. And yet ultimately security does not come from stuff. And then finally, look at yourself in terms of being an enabler. Are you perhaps enabling other people by buying stuff for them? Are you un enabling your own sense of not being lovable enough by buying things for yourself? The idea here is that if I spend money in a certain way, I will have more love in my life. All right, well, I've left you with quite a bit of things that we don't want to do, right? <laughs> Not as helpful as I usually am. So let me close today with our purpose. Our purpose, of course, is to be prosperous. Our purpose is to have a sense of financial freedom. Our purpose is to look within and find and enjoy the faith and spirit that knows we are always, always provided. And one place to start is to get underneath some of those poor spending habits, those false beliefs, and see what's really there for me. Do you feel that you don't have enough love? Do you feel that there isn't economic security for you? Do you feel that you have to do things for your friends in order to get their love? Do you feel that you're not worthy, that the good life is always going to elude you? These are the issues that we address head on. We don't think about money as somehow affecting it or resolving it. We look inward. 
We begin to see ourselves as lovable and valuable. We begin to see ourselves as part of spirit that always, always wishes us to lead the abundant life. There is good for us and we shall have it. That's the promise of God. It's the promise of spirit in its abundance to to share and be gracious with us if, if we can open our heart to accept it. Well, in summary, what we've learned today is that prosperity is not just about the money. Once we have reached a level of sufficiency, once our needs are being met, more money not necessarily helpful at all. We've learned that this month and a little bit into next month, we're defining prosperity as a faith-based feeling of sufficiency and security. There is enough. I am enough. God is here to prosper me. My life is part of the abundance of the universe. We've also talked about the four dangerous myths about money, that thrift is a virtue, that money equals happiness, that more is always more. The person who dies with the most stuff wins. We've talked about spending on others in the hopes that they will love you more. These are all false beliefs that we're going to work on dissolving this month. And then finally, we talked about knowing what sufficiency and safety really are for us if we want to make progress. And that leads me into the homework for this particular week. What does sufficiency and safety mean to you? If that is the point of financial freedom, to feel safe, to feel secure, to feel that you have enough, to feel that you are enough. Your homework this week is to do a little bit more definition around that. What is safety and security for you? What is having enough? Not, not living in luxury. That's a different question, and there's nothing wrong with picturing yourself living in luxury. But what is sufficiency? What level of goodness in your life would have you feeling safe, feeling secure, feeling prosperous. And if something really is missing, we're going to be learning the tools and techniques for attracting that into your lives later this month. Well, I want to close with a quote from the book and a prayer. We're blessed. There's a beautiful prayer in this book, so I'm going to use that for our closing prayer today. Julia Cameron says, as you recognize your spending types, the specific anxiety it masks becomes clearer. She's talking about those, those myths that we have about money. At different times, you may find yourself falling into different patterns, seeking to block your anxiety by adopting whichever type of spending feels the most comfortable in the moment. This is compulsive spending, and it's always masking something else. And we spend completely because we are trying so hard to mask something else going on in our lives. Well, we must learn to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of? And when the answer becomes clear, we will learn to take the fear out of our spiritual source and ask our higher power to intervene. Let us pray. O oh, great creator, I prosper through you, drawing my abundance from your infinite stores. 
You know my needs, and you provide for them always. You know my dreams, and you bring me their fulfillment. I rely on you as my source always. You are the rock on which I build my life, and I trust you to supply me with all the things necessary for my happiness, for my safety and security. You are my security, and I turn to you always to guide, guard, and direct. And so it is. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. I hope you've enjoyed uh, just this first taste of Julia Cameron's The Prosperous Heart. Now is our time of conscious giving. And many of you who have been with us for a few years are wondering, this is October. Shouldn't they be doing some kind of a pitch for a pledge program or something? Well, you're off the hook this year, kind of. Let me explain just a minute. We really decided in these uncertain times, it'd be a little crazy for you to predict your finances over the next year and to make a pledge, right? We don't even know whether the center will physically be open for attendance, right? We're closed for October. How could we ask you to make a commitment when you don't even know what your life is going to be like? Having said that, though, I also know that many of you are in great financial shape, maybe not necessarily knowing exactly what the year will bring, maybe not feeling like making a pledge, but I do know that many of you out there could easily sign up for one of our automatic payment programs. It's so difficult in not knowing whether people will be here in the sanctuary, doing our usual offering is kind of weird. For many of you, it's difficult every week to log on to the internet in a certain way and go to us at cslportland.org slash donate and figure all that out, how much easier it would be for you and what a blessing for us if you signed up for one of the automatic payment options that we have. We've recently had to upgrade some of our sound equipment, some of uh, musical equipment, some of our video equipment. It would be so lovely to accept your gifts to, to help us bring this quality time to you every Sunday. Thank you all for your wonderful donations. I, I do appreciate you going to cslportland.org slash donate. That's where you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donations, and they mean so much to me, of course. Uh, but I thought I would read this and do a shout-out to a friend of ours named Johnny in North Carolina. He writes, I listen to your podcast a lot, and I have grown very fond of the message. I loved your episode, The Mother Load. Oh, that was the one we did about a month ago. I thank you all at PCSL, and I pray for your success. What a sweet letter. Thank you so much, Johnny. We're here for you, even in North Carolina, and just want to let all of you know that we're also here to support you in prayer. So if there's something going on in your life that uh, could use a little tune-up, could use a little improvement, please seek us out, cslportland.org. the bottom of every single page, there's a link for submitting a prayer request. If we can help you through our prayer, we are here for you. You fill that out and it automatically gets emailed to our entire prayer team. About 12 of us will be praying for you throughout the week. So please take advantage of that. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. 
We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.